Our reading today comes from Tim DeLugos. Uh, he was an LGBTQ activist in the 80s and died of age-related complications in 1990. It's titled Ordinary Time. Which are the magic moments in ordinary time? All of them, for those who can see. That is what redemption means, I decided at the meeting. Then walk with David wearing his new Yale t-shirt and new long hair to 103. Leonard and Eileen come too. Leonard wears a shark's tooth on a chain around his neck and long blonde hair. These days, he's the manager of boots and saddles, bras and girdles, my beloved Bobby used to say, and a costumer for the gay cable network's dating game. One week, the announcer is a rhinestone cowboy, sequin shirt and black fur chaps, and the next, a leatherman, etc. Eileen's crew cut makes her face light up. Underneath our hairstyles, 23 years of sobriety, all told. The age of a girl who's not so young, but not so very old, wrote Berryman, who flew from his recovery with the force of a poet hitting bottom. It's not the way I choose to go out of this restaurant or day to day, and I have a choice. Wanda, the comedian, comes over to our table. Call me Wicked Wanda, she smirks when we're introduced. Why is New York City awash in stand-up comics at the least funny point in its history? Still, some things stay the same. People wonder what the people in their buildings would think if the ones who were wondering became incredibly famous, as famous as Madonna. Debbie Harry lived in Eileen's building in the village in the early 70s, and she was just the shy girl in the band upstairs. Poets reading the writing of their friends and are happy when they like it thoroughly, when the work's that good and the crippling sense of competition stays away. Trips get planned. David home to California, Eileen to New Mexico, Chris and I to France and Spain on vectors which will spread out from a single point like ribs of an umbrella. Then after the comfort of a wedge of blueberry peach pie and a cup of decaf, Sober friends thread separate ways home through the maze of blankets on the sidewalk covered with the scraps of someone else's life. Mine consists of understanding that the magic isn't something that I make, but something that shines through the things I make and do and say the way a brooch or a scrap of fabric shines from the detritus to catch Leonard's eye and be of use for costumes. When I am fearless, and thorough enough to give it room, all the room there is in ordinary time, which embraces all the people and events and hopes that choke the street tonight, and still leaves room for everyone and everything and every other place, the undescribed and the indescribable, more various and cacophonous than voice can tell or mind conceive, and for the sky's vast depths from which they're all a speck of light. It is good to be in a sanctuary um, <laughs> with uh, someone else. Uh, this is a delight. And it's a delight that today, well, tomorrow, is the 51st anniversary of the first Pride celebration in this country, the first official Pride celebration in this country. It also marks the 52nd anniversary of the Stonewall riots in New York City. It's interesting to reflect on, but pride is still a very young occurrence. 
in the current world order. And I phrase it that way because if we wanted, we could get into all sorts of LGBTQ ancient history, breaking down gender and sexuality, binaries and stereotypes in antiquity, in indigenous cultures and in pre-Romanized Christian hegemony. Wow, that last bit is a mouthful. Say it again. <laughs> like pre-Romanized Christian hegemony. It almost sounds like a Noam Chomsky book title. But here we are in the West. Pride is 51 years old. And the event that initiated it is not far ahead in years. It began as all movements do. The intent and purpose of the Stonewall riots was not pride, a character trait itself. There was no agenda to the riots other than this, to survive, to end the persecution being experienced by the LGBTQ community. It was 1969 and the Stonewall Inn located between 51st and 53rd Christopher Street in Greenwich Village, a known gay bar. It had frequently been targeted by police raids to, according to some, round up the perverts. It was New York City law at that time, using that language, the perverts, sexual deviants. It was after one in the morning and after having collected so-called evidence from undercover police, the bar was raided yet again. This was a series of raids that were happening, uh, targeting the Stonewall Inn, but also all known gay bars or suspected gay bars nationwide. Patrons were roughed up and 13 people were arrested for reasons ranging from bootleg alcohol, the bar didn't have an alcohol license, uh, to violating clothing statutes. Some people you see weren't dressed according to their assumed gender. And here's a detail that bothers me in a way I just cannot express the, the amount of anger and, and frustration at history and, and what was happening here. But the police would take the people they assumed were cross-dressing into the bathrooms to check their sex before arresting them. As people were being arrested, the remaining bar patrons and people in the neighborhood stuck around instead of obeying the police orders to disperse. The agitation increased. The police got rougher in handling the people. Uh, a lesbian woman was hit over the head and as she was being forced into a police van, she shouted for onlookers to do something. And suddenly, pennies, bottles, stones, and other objects started hurtling through the air at the police. Many credit a woman named Stormy DeLavery with throwing the first object, an African-American lesbian who someone identify as trans or genderqueer today. And then a riot ensued and lasted three days. The legacy of Stonewall was first the formation of the modern LGBTQ rights movement, the formation of the Gay Liberation Network, and the inspiration of countless activists who've paved the way for where we are today. A day where we still celebrate pride and increasingly see LGBTQ representation, though there is, as always, more to be done. The story of LGBTQ rights uh, in this country is one we don't hear too often from Miss Sweet Evening Breeze here in Lexington, Kentucky to Allen Ginsberg or Harvey Milk or Stormy DeLavery. Well, okay, maybe we know Harvey Milk's story if we saw the movie. And most people will go, but I know RuPaul and Ellen, it's always Ellen. Pride is a weird month. 
at least for me. Everything from a package of Oreos to a head of lettuce at Kroger has a rainbow on it these days. And companies I never imagined are telling me how much pride means to them. I, I'm so glad ExxonMobil feels that way, but I really just want to get some gas. It's a month with a flurry of rainbows and people telling me what love should mean to LGBTQ people. Love is love, everyone wants to tell me. And okay, it is until it isn't. People are unique and love cannot be minimized. But this isn't a Pride Month gripe list, though it could become one very easily. <laughs> the real tension in the month is the absence of history for me. That shouldn't come as a surprise to you, right? Exxon or the head of lettuce or whatever has a rainbow on it leaves out just why a month such as this exists. The rainbow and pride are anchored in both struggle and celebration, which means we have some incredible human stories, such as those from Stonewall, that show us the enduring human spirit in action. But I'll be clear, my unease rests in something else too. Some of you who are LGBTQ in our church community, uh, who are wise elders, uh, may have a different perspective, or perhaps those of you who grew up in a world where the divisions I experienced or those older than me experienced uh, weren't around. I get that. I still remember growing up feeling like marriage would never be a possibility, that it was my lot in life to tiptoe around a world where someone like me and everyone in the LGBTQ spectrum, family, whatever word you want to use, uh, weren't considered when it came to equality. And some of you I know know that story in deeper and more hurtful ways. But there it is. And then I remember where we've arrived today rests on immense history. People and movements and joys and sorrows, moments both extraordinary and incredibly ordinary. And so here's just a few. On December 10th, 1924, the first gay rights organization documented in the United States was founded in Chicago by Henry Gerber. The Society for Human Rights, it was called. Soon after they disbanded due to political pressure, but still is an extraordinary milestone, the first documented organization. Today in Chicago, the well-known LGBTQ neighborhoods of Boys Town and Andersonville are no longer places people sneak away to. The city boasts several variations of a pride flag that mash up the rainbow and the city flag. An African-American openly lesbian woman is the mayor. And this too is extraordinary, but also feels incredibly ordinary. In 1940, future Episcopal priest and civil rights advocate Polly Murray, an African-American, gave the name Oliver when being arrested during an early segregation protest on a bus. Throughout their life, Polly would describe themselves in ways we would term transgender today, though that word was not in common usage then. Polly lived a life at the crossroads, expressing this inherent identity but still being hailed as the first African-American woman to be ordained an Episcopal priest. Perhaps Polly was gender fluid, gender queer, perhaps trans, perhaps Polly was just Polly. Either way, Polly Murray lived openly and authentically as best as possible at that time and is now seen as an early trans icon. Polly was extraordinary in their courage. 
Today, I wish I could say issues of gender identity and trans rights were ordinary and commonplace, though they increasingly are getting better. Yet we've seen the politicizing of bathroom usage of all things persist to this day. The denial of healthcare, insurance, and access to gender non-binary and trans people. And of course, the continued fear and violence and loss of life. To be honest, this pride season often has a lot to say about L, G, and B, but there's little room for the T or the Q or all the other letters. In 1948, Alfred Kinsey published a landmark study indicating that homosexual activity wasn't just practiced exclusively by gay men, that over a third of men have experimented in some way. Now, this would pave the way for other studies by Kinsey that showed that sexuality was, in his observation, a continuum and not an either-or. Flawed and imperfect, this foray into breaking away from the either-or mindset was extraordinary. And how we talk about sexuality to today owes a lot to those studies, though we have broken away from the set continuum. Today, we know sexuality isn't. It's more fluid than that for many people. The list of letters attached to LGBTQ plus has grown longer and longer over the years. I used to know them all, now I don't. It's broken away from just sexuality to gender identity, asexuality, pansexuality. If you don't know the terms, you can, there are Google search away. And the broader term of queer, no longer a derogatory word, but a reclaimed source of pride. Youth today, have no problem honoring a person's chosen pronouns and are keenly aware that gender and sexuality goes beyond an either or mindset. It feels extraordinary, but for the new generation, it's incredibly ordinary. In April, 1952, the American Psychiatric Association listed homosexuality as a socio, I can't even say it without laughing, a sociopathic personality disturbance. Now, I'll be honest, I knew at some point it was listed as a disorder, but I had no idea the terminology was sociopathic personality disturbance. <laughs> 21 years later, that classification would be removed from the list of mental illnesses. And this is an extraordinary piece of history, not because it's joyful, though it's kind of funny to say it out loud, and we are glad it's no longer listed as an illness, but because many of you were alive during that time. And if I think my life has shifted considerably for LGBTQ persons over these last 36 years, how much more for many of you? Today, you can find LGBTQ affirming therapists, counselors, and psychiatrists in moderate to liberal circles. It's celebrated and accepted. Schools and universities provide resources and pride centers. Many faith traditions celebrate LGBTQ persons as an integral part of the natural order. Some would say creation. While there is always more to do, I know I can look at the shifting landscape and see an ordinary acceptance settling in, even with many hurdles on the horizon. 
And the list can go on and on and on. January 1st, 1962, Illinois became the first state to decriminalize homosexuality. June 28th, 1969, the Stonewall riots ensured, uh, ensued for three days, reigniting the LGBTQ rights movement. January 1974, Kathy Kozachenko becomes the first openly gay American elected to office on the Ann Arbor City Council. November 8th, 1977, Harvey Milk introduces a gay rights equality ordinance in San Francisco. October, October 14th, 1979, 75 5,000 people marched on Washington for LGBTQ rights. October 11th, 1987, hundreds of thousands of people marched on Washington demanding Ronald Reagan do something with the AIDS crisis. September 21st, 1996, not a happy part of history, but President Bill Clinton signed the Defense of Marriage Act into law. April 1st, 1998, Coretta Scott King the wife of Martin Luther King Jr. calls on the civil rights community to advocate for LGBTQ rights and equality and marriage equality. April 26, 2000, Vermont legalizes same-sex unions. 2003, sodomy laws are ruled unconstitutional. 2004, Massachusetts legalizes same-sex marriage. 2009, federal hate crime law is expanded to include gender identity, sexual orientation, and disability. 2010, don't ask, don't tell is repealed. 2015, I remember the day, clearly, marriage equality becomes legal in all 50 states. I could keep going. I could keep listing the good, the bad, the ugly, the current struggles, the recent atrocities. We could go on and on and on about North Carolina and their bathroom law obsession if we wanted to. We should take note of the significant struggles of LGBTQ persons in conservative and rural parts of the country today. We should take note of religious traditions that still deny basic human dignity to LGBTQ persons. We should take note of violence against trans people, specifically trans women of color. We should look squarely at the extraordinary success and the extraordinary failures of American history when it comes to sexuality and gender. Stonewall is a time to remember. It's a time to remember LGBTQ ancestors and trailblazers. It's a time to remember that riots are the voice of the unheard. It's a time to remember that pride parades and celebrations are a joyful reenactment of those marches and struggles and the continued struggle. It's a time to look at the extraordinary moments of queer culture and history. Here are entire movements and communities joined together around sexuality and gender in a society that has struggled mightily to escape Puritan influence. And yet, it's also a time to celebrate the ordinary. The lettuce I buy at Kroger doesn't need to have a rainbow flag on it this month, though I'm sure it probably does. <laughs> the Cheerios do, I know that for sure. Instead, for me, I celebrate living a gay old life in a regular house in a residential neighborhood with a dog and my husband. We do ordinary things, domestic things, and yet there's a part of us that will always be connected to a legacy of queer and gay triumph, the triumph of both the extraordinary and the ordinary. There are still fears. I'll be honest about that. Fears I can never imagine, but I can bear witness to in my trans and non-binary siblings. Fears that my husband and I have with our lopsided Supreme Court and a political party that values power and money over compassion and all else. People said their votes in 2016 didn't matter or they weren't enraptured by a certain candidate, but it's led to LGBTQ communities 
communities of color, women, immigrants, again, these lists keep going. It's led to a looming fear of what is yet to come. I often wonder when America will abandon the need to regress before true progress is made, but I think that's another sermon altogether. And so, yeah, I, I want to eat my Cheerios without the box being full of glitter. I wouldn't mind watching reruns of The Office without rainbow flags on every TV logo. Uh, everything is branded this month, and yet part of me relishes it. The contrast of when I first came out to a small group of friends in high school and how dangerous that felt to now. Some of you have seen the ups and downs in ways I can never imagine. And so, no, I won't watch Lin-Manuel Miranda, Miranda say love is love is love is love over and over again in the remaining days of June. I appreciate the sentiment, but love is unique. Love cannot be contained. Love is not one size fits all. Love knows no bounds. Love is love makes a great t-shirt, but love is more than anything we could ever imagine in this life of ours. And pride celebrates that diversity. It celebrates the ordinary and extraordinary. It celebrates the heartbreak still being felt and the balm of joining together in community. A wild, untethered community that cannot be summed up in a rainbow or a catchphrase or a parade. A community that has a lot of progress to still pursue for pride is not some land of milk and honey, but it's a land that continue, is continually reimagined. More trans inclusion, less white gay male focused and so on and so on and so on. Broaden the circle and keep broadening it. As we heard earlier in the poem from Tim DeLugos, there are so many ordinary everyday moments of life for LGBTQ people. And if we didn't tell you he was a gay rights activist and an AIDS activist, you probably would have read that poem and gone, wow, that's a poem of an ordinary day in New York City. The power of pride is wholly rooted in the LGBTQ movement and its diversity but it's also connected to empowering people to free themselves from the pressures of sexual, gender, and cultural norms. It's freeing people to be who they are authentically. Pride is more than just a good time. It's more than a festival. It is a celebration. It is a remembrance and it's a reminder. It's a stewarding of LGBTQ history, a concentrated expression of community and a hope. A hope that our fears will be unfounded, and if not, if those fears come true, a hope we will endure and emerge victorious again. It's a hope that lives lost from bigotry are not in vain. It's a hope that our allies will truly show up when it's needed most, not just to a festival or a parade. It's a hope that community will be there for one another. We can't forget anyone that falls under this wide, wide, wide umbrella. It's a hope and a gritty, imperfect hope at that. Unitarian Universalists have long been a people of inclusion. We've ordained and unofficially wed LGBTQ persons since the 60s and 70s. Some even suspect before the merger in the 50s, the Unitarians were doing this. We were among the first, if not the first. Our old headquarters hung marriage equality and LGBTQ rights banners outside its windows because they could be seen in the Massachusetts State House chambers when they were in session. We've ordained trans people to the ministry for decades. We've, and again, here we go, another list. We cannot rest on our laurels, for pride is so much more than a destination. 
It's a hope that commits us to inclusion, accessibility, worth, dignity, and wholeness. And so however you celebrate pride, if it's going to a festival, if it's with rainbows and all sorts of colors, if it's with the glitter or if it's with a pride branded box of Cheerios, go ahead and celebrate. Remember though, bear witness, have pride, be pride. Realize it's more than any month can contain. Your love is unique. You are unique and worthy. And the span of history of saints and sinners and revolutionaries that led to days such as these, days of success and continued struggle, we bring their journeys into these moments every single day. And so, happy pride. Blessed be. Amen.